0: I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Across the desert's bare, man I breathe the mountain air, man I travel, I've had my share, man I've been everywhere 720 WGN Hello, it's Amy Guthin for Pete McMurray this afternoon with you till 5 p.m. Thanks so much for being with me. I appreciate you and I'm grateful to you for sharing part of your weekend with us here at WGN. We're joined now in studio by Laura Powell, who has covered travel for more than 25 years. She helped develop CNN's original travel programming and has covered the beat for the network for nearly five years. You have seen her work, period. It's been in a lot of places. Washington Post, USA Today, National Geographic Traveler, lots of airline magazines, all kind of places, so we're very excited to have you with us today. Welcome, Laura. Thanks it's for coming to be in. Here,
1: thank you for having me. Thank
0: you. Well, there's so many topics about travel. I mean, I it's a topic I want to visit every single show. Of where should we go? What should we do? What's the thing? Da, da, da. But uh, there's a very interesting topic that's kind of bubbling up that you alerted me to, and that is the idea of over tourism. That's a a new word that I've just learned after talking with you.
1: Well, and it's new for a lot of people, although it's kind of been around the industry now for the last couple of years. Basically, it's when too many people overwhelm a place and affect it either environmentally or economically or socially or culturally. And basically, Ruin the destination, um, for the locals and for other tourists as well. It can be, um, it can take place in big cities like Barcelona and Venice, but it can also take place on remote islands. It's just a matter of if there are too many people coming to a place and the infrastructure can't handle it, that's when over tourism
0: happens. Are there any big places that, like, when the topic of over tourism comes up, what, are, what's high on the list?
1: Uh, the hit list, the, the, Top ones are Amsterdam... Barcelona, Venice for sure. Um, Iceland is often on that list. Uh, f- there's a few islands that you'll you'll see that that are on the list. Bali from time to time um, gets that moniker as well. Sometimes uh, Kyoto in Japan. So uh, sometimes it's just seasonal in nature. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a year-round phenomenon, but certainly the impacts are felt by the locals throughout the year.
0: Sure, sure, and and a little of it is good, and it's great for the economy. It's fun. I know in the summer when there's a lot of tourists here, I spend about a week going, everybody move. I live here. I need to use a sidewalk. And then I, I kind of enjoy watching people navigate and see things for the first time and go, oh, there was the bridge from Perfect Strangers or whatever the thing is. And that's kind of enjoyable. But we're talking about a place that gets really bogged down. To the point of damaging it.
1: Really being inundated. And a lot of it is caused, well, there's several different causes, but you take an example like Venice or Barcelona or Dubrovnik in Croatia. And in those cases, what's happening is you're getting these gigantic cruise ships that are coming with 3,000 people, several a day. They're just, uh, the passengers get off the ship, spend the day wandering around. They don't spend necessarily any money because they're not spending, uh, they're not staying overnight at these destinations, but they're merely cluttering the streets mm. uh, and trying to see as much as possible in the 18 hours they have on shore. So you're seeing that the cruise ship business is is a big part of the problem. And some of these cities, like Venice, like Dubrovnik, are trying to cut back on the number of cruise ships that can actually uh, come to port there in order to reduce a lot of the problems. Yeah.
0: So I was going to say, it, it's not like you can unring a bell. Once people discover a beautiful city, it's hard to say don't go there. So what do, what do what can cities do to kind of mitigate that?
1: Well, there are a number of different strategies that cities and destinations have taken. I mean, starting with uh, banning cruise ships or limiting cruise ships, um, uh, some of the places like Machu Picchu um, will have timed entry. So only so many people can be on site at a particular time. It's kind of like the Disneyland approach, right? Um, but it's still crowded. Uh, there are tourism taxes. Sometimes those are taxes added to a hotel room. But in the case of Venice, they're actually going to start traveling, I'm sorry, taxing some of those cruise travelers that only come during the day.
0: Mm. Um,
1: so starting, I believe, in July, they're going to be charging a tax on, on the day trippers. Um, other places like Amsterdam are trying to focus more on Niche travelers, like higher end, what they call quality travelers, people who spend more money, but have less impact on the infrastructure. Um, others are going and trying to distribute their tourists around the country, like Slovenia, which is really focusing on its different rural areas and the wellness opportunities they, they can provide the tourists. So there's a lot of different ways people are approaching it. It's just, it's a fairly new phenomenon. So it's just kind of the reaction to it is, just kind of consolidating into something that will actually have an impact on the local communities.
0: Yeah. I think that's a very interesting topic. I mean, I, what I love to do when I travel, when I, when I do get time off to go do it and, and have the opportunity is I, I always say, okay, where, if you're working in this touristy area, where do you live? That's what I always want to know. Where, where do people actually live? What's normal here? That's what I want to go see. And I've had some lovely adventures doing that. Maybe some safety concerns that I probably should have thought better of. But hey, we only live once, whatever. You know, and exploring that and also what's nearby here, what's worth a day trip. Those have been some of my favorite experiences of just kind of, I'm going to take a day and go here. Or maybe I'll I'll take two nights and go to this other city nearby that's not as big. And I think that's a very interesting thing, approach, too.
1: Well, especially because a lot of locals are now priced out of the city centers You don't find any locals in Dubrovnik anymore in the old town. Same with Venice. They've all been priced out because anyone who actually owns property will rent it on Airbnb instead of renting to locals because they can make more money. Mm. So all of a sudden, there are less places for locals to live in these areas, so they get pushed out. People don't think about that when they're using Airbnb, for example, but that's a real side effect of too many tourists is a reduced housing stock. And so... I agree. Getting getting off off the beaten track, going to local neighborhoods, um, going to smaller towns, is a great way to explore. But nowadays, in certain cities, going to the outlying neighborhoods means you have to go further and further and further out before you actually find a local who actually lives there.
0: That's right. And sometimes you, I mean, I joke about security, but you know, sometimes you do need to actually ensure that you're going to be safe. In particular, I'm thinking about, I spent some time in South Africa and had, like, made a point to find some, I was warned, like, you know, close to Johannesburg, you're going to want some help. You're going to want some tour guide kind of situation, a little bit different around Cape Town and further down into Cape of Good Hope and Stellenbosch and that area, but eh, be careful around Johannesburg. And that proved to be right. It was, there was some kind of tense moment. Nothing happened, knock on wood, but, you know, kind of tense stuff that I was glad to be with a group.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes people are so um, focused on themselves and taking selfies and, you know, looking for the best shot that they're not really aware of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that are going to be targets of, of thieves and that kind of thing. So I think people kind of lose themselves when they travel. And it's really important to be aware of of safety issues. Um, the State Department has a website, uh, travel.state.gov, which lists travel warnings uh, for different countries and different areas in different countries. So that's always good to look at before you leave. Um, but also just kind of being paying attention is, yeah. is really the key to
0: Getting it anywhere in the world. Definitely. I mean, you mentioned selfies. I, I recall just a few months ago, although time seems so weird now, it probably was a year ago. Yeah. Uh, that the Russian government had issued a warning about people taking, people having horrible things happen to them while they were taking selfies. Like, please do not take selfies with wild animals. Please do not take selfies pretending to hang off of a mountain. People actually don't pretend like you're dodging a train. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> which is... But, How you know, so we, we, we see those
1: stories all the time True. about, you know, the hikers who are on a mountain and oh, go back a little bit. And, you know, I mean, it, it it's it's not unusual anymore to see those stories in the news, sadly. Um, and again, that's a classic example of people not paying attention to where they are.
0: Yeah, truly. We're talking with Laura Powell. She is a travel writer and expert on all things travel. We're going to take a little break, come right back and keep this conversation rolling here on 720 WGN. Mm-hmm. America's oil and gas moves through 2.4 million miles of underground pipelines safely. But one of those pipelines were gone. We would need 90,000 more tanker trucks or 27,000 more rail cars every single day just to meet our energy needs. So, do you want this, this, or this? We move America's energy. We are energy transfer.
2: Hello, beautiful. Happy New Year. Happy New Hair Color. I'm Amy Errett, founder of Madison Reed, a hair color company I named after my daughter. Women love Madison Reed. You get gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. You'll look as if you just came from the salon. What makes our color unique is that each shade is composed of multiple tones, just like a colorist would mix a color formula in the salon. Delivered to your door for under $25 with every box of Madison Reed hair color, you get access to licensed colorists so you could color with total confidence. So, if looking good, feeling great, saving time and money are on your list of New Year's resolutions, it's go time. Visit madison reed.com, take our online quiz to find your perfect shade, and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Use code Chicago Radio. That's code Chicago Radio. Try it, love it. That's the beauty of Madison Reed.
0: Need to pay off high-interest credit cards after the holidays? The Chicago Municipal Employees Credit Union offers home equity loans and personal loans. Membership in the Chicago Municipal Employees Credit Union is now open to all residents of Chicago and most of suburban Cook County. To join and apply for a loan, go to cmecuonline.org or call 312-236-2326. The Chicago Municipal Employees Credit Union. Chicago's credit union since 1926. For news at 10, watch WGN, Micah Mater, Joe Donlin, Dan Roan, and Chicago's most trusted meteorologist, Tom Skilling. For TV News at 10, watch Chicago's very own WGN. Also, the Midwestern University Multi-Specialty Clinic in Downers Grove offers a comprehensive, patient-centered healthcare experience at their Dental Institute, Family Medicine Clinic, Speech Language Institute, Physical Therapy Institute, and Eye Institute. At their clinics, you will receive exceptional care from a team of highly qualified faculty and students. Learn more at mwuclinics.com or call 630-743-4500. That's 630-743-4500. The Midwestern University Clinic, your family's home for healthcare. 7:20 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for Pete McMurray today. Thanks for being with us. We've been talking with Laura Powell, who is a travel writer who does all those things. You can see her work CNN and Washington Post, National Geographic Traveler, all kind of cool places. If you follow me on social media, I will be sure and share some links to her work after the program because there is lots of cool stuff there. And we've been talking about this idea of over tourism, how people, um, you know, a lot of people going to Barcelona. And it's, you know, not great for people who are living in Barcelona, per- perhaps lots of places like that. And the idea of kind of um, maybe looking at alternatives, maybe some cities even saying, hey, we're going to tax you if you stay. And if you come in for the day and don't stay overnight, things like that, which I think is interesting. I think we're in there's a lot of change in a lot of industries, certainly in the journalism world. The travel journalism world is very interesting. I've talked with other travel writers about this. What is the how, well, let's make a list, perhaps. Where do I start this question? (laughs) There are probably many ways that social media, particularly, I'm going to do radio air quotes, the influencers have shifted the work that you do and shifted and and perhaps changed, for better or worse, the travel writing world. How is that? How have you seen the digital impact of your business?
1: Well, it's interesting because having been in it for a long time, um, you used to see uh, travel journalists and travel writers were somewhat indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I i mean, there was a little bit of a difference where I would say travel writers were more like, oh, let's go to the beautiful beach of Hawaii and blah, 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 as opposed to travel journalists who might take a more critical approach to to the beat. Um Then bloggers came along and, uh, when that was the hot new thing, everyone said, Oh, I'm a travel writer or I'm a travel journalist, but they weren't journalists at all. They were basically, you know, a mom with extra time on her hands or somebody who just liked to travel or, you know, whatever, but they didn't, they weren't writing from a journalistic perspective in any way. Then, uh, you bring the influencers into the mix and what I think people still don't realize, even though a lot of, especially younger people, millennia, millenniums, millennials and younger, you know, tend to get a lot of their travel ideas on Instagram. And again, this is another reason why we see over tourism, because a site gets Instagrammed, everyone wants to go, everyone wants to take a picture at that particular place. Anyway, um, so. But what happens is these influencers at the beginning, they they might be getting some free trips, Mm -hmm. you know, which, again, is as a travel writer and a travel journalist. Sometimes you do take free trips because, frankly, you know, I can't afford a fifteen thousand dollar trip somewhere when I'm only going to be paid two hundred dollars to write about it. Sure. It is a matter of uh, the perspective you go in. Are you going in with a journalistic perspective or are you going in with a I'm just going to write about good things because then I'll get asked on more trips, which a lot of people do. So the influencers now not only get the free trip, and sometimes not just for themselves, but for, you know, their their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their parents or, you know, whoever, just bring a whole party along, but they also get paid. So in essence, they're a PR adjunct for a destination or a hotel property. So they're never going to write anything bad or take a picture of anything bad. They're never going to say anything negative. Some will say, oh, yes, we will, because we don't want to destroy our credibility, but the fact is, when you're being paid, not only given a free trip, but also being paid to promote a destination, it's not journalism.
0: Yeah, and and hard to, even with perhaps someone with good intentions, probably hard to take off the rose-colored glasses if, you know, you just got this trip to, I don't know, Santorini or somewhere very beautiful and fancy and you paid nothing for it.
1: Yes, exactly. And especially, I think, if you're younger and you don't necessarily have that perspective, like, wow, isn't this great? I could travel around the world for free. Um, but... That said, I think people of every age are, are susceptible to that sure. idea of we got something free, therefore we're only going to write nice things because if not, we're going to be we're not going to be asked anywhere else. We won't
0: get any more free stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I'm very interested in in the intersection of Instagram and the travel industry, particularly. You know, we see our friends' feeds. Oh, that's so beautiful! How wonderful! So and so is in this warm, beautiful place on this cold day. You know, you there's even. Ad campaigns running right this minute. I think it's a, uh, is it Priceline where he says, don't hate like their trip, book your own, right? And it's all about the joke of looking at your friend having a much better time on Instagram than you are. And it's all that. And I think that that is so influential of, you know, we see beautiful pictures. We don't see the picture of like your luggage getting lost at the airport or scrambling to try to get your currency in the right <laughs>
1: thing, you know, get all that worked out. But you know, maybe influential, but I think the travel industry, the hotels, the destinations that host these influ- influencers, are still having a hard time figuring out the return on investment. Mm-hmm. Especially, I cover a lot of luxury for an outlet called Skift. And the luxury, luxury clients tend to be older and they're not necessarily spending a lot of time on Instagram. I mean, now it's aging up so that the millennials are luxury travelers. But when the influencer trend started, all these luxury properties were trying to ask 24-year-old Instagrammers to come to their properties. It's like, well, that's fine, but the people who are looking at their feed are also... Are their parents. Well, no, more likely their friends mm. who don't have any money. Yeah. So yeah. they're not going to be... Sta- so you just spent you know, $5,000 bringing an influencer in, right. paid them another who knows how much. Their friends are seeing their feed, but it's their
0: parents that the hotel probably wants.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. but... Initially, that was not necessarily sure. the way to their no, to their heart. Right not now, again, as things as things age up, things are changing. But the travel industry is still grappling mm-hmm. with how do we how do we measure ROI? Who's legit? Who's not? Is this really useful to us?
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I subscribe to a lot of travel magazines and enjoy them, and and then you know you open Instagram and you see, well, gosh, this is. These two things don't reconcile necessarily. You know, even if it's a, wow, that's a beautiful photo. This is a person clearly having a lovely time in a lovely environment. But then you can, you know, I like to dig into a, here's how to navigate this place. Here's how to do this thing. That's important to know too, because it's not just, it's not just for the for the moment capture of of a photo, it's a you want to have this whole experience of a trip,
1: well, the other thing too is what what moment is being captured i would I've never done a study of this, but it would be interesting to see how many sunny day versus cloudy day pictures are mm. taken in places, right? I mean, even somewhere like Seattle that hardly has any sunny days. I would bet there's a huge percentage of sunny day pictures either because they were taken on sunny days or they were filtered to look like sunny days. So what you're seeing on Instagram isn't necessarily the reality
0: on the ground. That's a very good point. Which, But again, this brings us full circle back to this idea of over-tourism that, that's so interesting and as you made this, ent- this great point of how that can lead to it. If you see a lot of people, uh, so for example, I'm very into yoga and so I regularly see people posting a photo in front of a very particular tree in Thailand that has like a Buddha on it because a lot of people that do yoga want to go to this tree. And so, of course, I'm like, oh, well, if I'm ever going that way, I guess I should take a picture in front of that tree.
1: <laughs> and again, places like that tree, that poor tree in the middle of yes. the forest somewhere, probably, there's no infrastructure for, right. you know, people coming there and doing, you know, poses in front of it. It mm-hmm. just, it, it, so people are coming into the forest. They're probably, um, you know, ruining the landscape. There, there's just sure. all sorts of of different implications that are not good.
0: The intersection of yoga tourism and Instagram is a thing I oh. can rant about for days. So we <laughs> won't even get going on that because oh like, yeah, yoga is not just a pose like that. <laughs> Sometimes the best yoga is just sitting quietly. Okay, yeah, that's a whole other thing. So what can the average consumer do to be mindful of over tourism? You know, you don't necessarily you can't necessarily just throw a dart at a map. How can you find out about? maybe alternative destinations or if you really do want to go to a place that is perhaps very busy with tourists how can you be a good traveler and helpful to locals
1: well i think the first thing is try if you want to go to a venice or a dubrovnik go in the off season or go shoulder season um, it was interesting a couple of years ago i went to florence in november and no one was there i didn't have to wait in one line i didn't have to make in one res- one reservation yeah it was 50 degrees it was a little cool. But the experience was so amazing and I was running into local people and it was just, it was wonderful. So the lack of crowds, even though it was a little colder, the offset was well worth it. So I would say if you really want to go to one of those destinations, um, go in the off season or shoulder season and stay overnight, contribute to the economy. Don't just, you know, train in from a, a cheap suburb and then leave that night. Um, but the other thing is really there are alternatives i mean yes nothing is the same as as venice or rome but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of really cool things you can do in italy you can go truffle hunting in the piemonte region you can go to the dolomites which are the which is the mountain area and you in the winter you could go skiing and in the summer you can go to a spa or do yoga you can go to uh, I, something i recently wrote about called alberghi dei fusi which are um formerly abandoned villages, which have been turned into like multi-unit lodging, but very authentically and done in a way so that locals will come back Mm. and live in these villages that were otherwise abandoned. So there's agro turismo, where you go out in rural areas and stay on farms. So I think you just need to educate yourself as to other options in the areas that you want to explore.
0: Yeah, certainly. And people need to follow you on social media so they can learn about all the things. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming by. Laura Powell, travel writer, expert on all things travel. Thank you for coming by and sharing your knowledge with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to take a little break. Come back in just a bit here on 720 WGN.